Hey, everybody, welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And boy, we've got an Anything But Typical Adam Boatsman. That's right. Adam Boatsman is joining us today, and I'm excited about it because even though I've known him for a while, I know I'm going to learn something new. Plus, he's just a lot of fun. So before we get into your background and your accolades and all that kind of stuff, Adam, the scenario, and you probably know it, but because um, when we were talking on Friday, I think, at Hello Sailor outside, the scenario actually happened to you. So here's the scenario. You are at Kindred or Hello Sailor or another one of those wonderful restaurants up in your neck of the woods by the lake, and somebody sees you and they recognize you, which is not hard. And um, instead of coming up to you and saying, hey, aren't you Adam Boatsman? <laughs> like what happened in the scenario on Friday, um, you hear them talking about you, but they don't realize that you've got supersonic ears and you overheard everything that they said. What is it that you would hope that they would say about you? Um, you know, honestly, uh, something that would not be embarrassing to my wife or children in the sense that it was adjectives that involved swear words in a derogatory fashion. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, that, I don't want that to happen, by the way. Right. <laughs> but honestly, you know, straight shooter. I mean, at the end of the day, I could probably boil it down to just that phrase. I just, you know, hey, that guy's a straight shooter. That, that's really it. I mean, it, whether, whether it's, um, you know, Hey, he told me something I don't want to hear, but I needed to hear it. Or he told me something that I didn't agree with and I'm angry about it. You know, at least, you know, at least, at least it was honest. You know, I think that's, that would make me feel pretty good about myself. I think. And then um, I was living the life that I have been set out or I've set out to try to live. Love it, man. Well, that's been true to my experience, buddy. Um, and that's why, I've joined you and the Motley crew that you've assembled. It's not Motley, but you're the brightest tax strategist I know on the planet. And that's not blowing smoke up your skirt. That's just the truth. And, um, but you're also a, a great guy. So we'll get in more into that um, as we dive deeper into your story and the, you know, the fact that you're willing to tell whatever you want to tell. <laughs> um, so Ben, Go ahead and uh, launch into your yeah. questions first. Yeah. So for those that don't know, Adam's the, the owner and the managing partner at BGW CPA. So Adam, I want to take us back to the beginning of BGW and, and first really get an idea of what led you to go from, from Ernst & Young, go to from such a, a large entity to start a new CPA firm. Um, good question. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, for a while I've been really fed up with working for a large company because it had stopped feeling very <clears throat> entrepreneurial. Um, you know, why the reason I picked you in the first place is that it was really entrepreneurial. Um, so then it kind of stopped being entrepreneurial right around the time that surveys actually happened and there was a bunch of reform and the accounting business and, you know, went from 
hey man, you know, there's an opportunity, you know, you go get it to you just didn't want to be on anybody's naughty list. I mean, you lived in fear and you just did not want to be on your naughty hmm. list. And I got on naughty list um, because, you know, sometimes you make an omelet, you break a few eggs. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, so I've been actively thinking, what do I want to do anyway? And, um, you know, I, I really thought it was going to be flipping houses or something like that because I thought that's something completely different. Burn out on anything associated with servicing a client. So I'm going to go like you know, as we're before the call, we we're joking about that happening with people in real estate. That's exactly what I wanted to do. So, you know, over a beer at Northstone Country Club with my you know former partner slash brother-in-law Dale Gilmore. I'm telling him how miserable um, things are and how much I don't want to be um, working for a big four anymore. Uh, he was also working for Ernst Young and he said, hey man, why don't we start an accounting firm? And I just started laughing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, literally by about beer four, I was like, all right. So I went home, you know, busted out the Excel spreadsheet, started putting together pro formas and very clearly the, the accounting firm outperformed the real estate business with really little to no capital requirements. So that, that kind of pushed me into, all right, let's give this a shot, see how it goes. Um, that was my frame of mind when starting the business is I figured I know how to sell. I know professional services really well. Um, it seems like a really good business opportunity. Um, but beyond that, I really didn't know much um, and was really looking for a way to start something that was, that was, uh, that was different from what I was currently doing. So, so when you end up making that transition, right? Anytime somebody goes from, from a large corporation or large entity to a startup type scenario, you're going to have perks and, and disadvantages on each side. So, what were some of those advantages from a business standpoint that you had by going to a much more, a much smaller and much more entrepreneurial um, culture at that point by starting your own thing? Um, so it, it's funny, you know, kind of the, you know, I'm a tax person. So of course I would have to say, oh, suddenly I'm paying for stuff pre-tax. I have been paying for post-tax. That actually happened. So a car allowance, <laughs> that was kind of nice. But, you know, in, independent of that, I think, you know, Probably the first thing that I noticed was, you know, I, when I was at Ernst & Young, I had worked for years to try to, to try to crack into Wachovia. I mean, not, you know, now Wells, but back then Wachovia. And, you know, we were stuck in supply chain hell, which anybody that knows what it's like to deal with big organizations knows what it's like to be, hey, we probably want to hire you. We don't have a rate card on you. Let's get the master services agreement signed. Well, you know, now you're in purgatory. <laughs> so, you know, for a year, and that was, this was to get a hundred thousand um, dollar. I spent years chasing a hundred thousand dollar project. We lost so much money on that project. Um, when I finally got it, that was one of the last projects I did at Ernst & Young. And then our first client was about $65,000. It was a big client. I mean, it was amazing that, that, that we got hired, but it was a really big client. 
and it little because we were dealing with the owner um, directly. It really it, it literally took like two meetings to close the deal. Because um, like, oh, you know what you're talking about? B seems fair. We're gonna do it. Like, there's no, you know, I don't need to run this by the supply chain group. I don't need to run. This isn't within my, you know, it's not. It's within my spending approval limit, or it's not. So I need to get my bots approval. Like, all that was out the window. So honestly, you know, I don't know if that's the direction you're taking as a, as a perk um, or not, Ben. But it really was the speed with which you could make decisions and have stuff happen by not having to run stuff up the food chain. And that was both, you know, selling. And it was also, you know, what, what we chose to deliver. It's like, I want to do something different. Cool. Let's do that tomorrow. You know, versus I have to seek out 20 approvals to do it. Yeah, no, that makes, makes a ton of sense, right? You're much more nimble when you're, when you're smaller. Um, I want to flip that on you now and, and talk about what were some of the issues or hurdles that you had being a smaller company at that beginning? I mean, it, it, it's funny. Um, probably, probably two things really jump out. Um, number one is just, you know, you are, well, actually three things, you know, number one is, you know, you are the chief cook and bottle washer. So in the tax world, what that meant was, you know, we started in um, November of 2006. So we went through a little bit of tax planning then we hopped right into do a tax returns. Well, Dale and I had never actually print and bound the tax return. And our wives were our key employees <laughs> and they certainly had never printed and bound a tax return. So, you know, we hit print, you know, had to go to Staples, get the stuff to figure out how to bind it, what we want to look at it. Dale and I are looking at it in the printer like, I don't know. Should that page? What should that page be in there? Should that page? Be, what's all this extra crap? That so literally was like, what should the tax return look like? Was like a big deal that we're like, oh my god, I can't believe there's not people for this. <laughs> like we have to decide this and do it. That's crazy. Um, that was number one. I think number two was, um, and this is going to sound terrible, but you know, it honestly comes back to having to deal with people. Um, because at Ernst & Young, if you had somebody who really just wasn't up to your performance expectations, like maybe they're a great person, but they were not up to your performance expectations, you know, you really didn't actually have to deal with that. You know, you could, you got through, they got through your project, you gave them a review, you know, gave them some feedback, gave them some growth opportunities, but then you never had to invite them back on your island again which meant that you conceivably never had to work with them again. So it's like, you know, um, Jack Nicholson and, and a few good men. It's like, I thought our job was to train the Marines around here. It's like, no, actually, I can make him somebody else's problem. <laughs> you know why? And somebody else can deal with it. <clears throat> That's not the case. Uh, that was that quickly became not the case for us. It's like, oh, we have to deal with people who have, you know, families and people issues and Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was willing to work hundred hours and they're not. <laughs> so yep. what, 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 what is going on around here? <laughs> so that, that was a real wake up call. Cause I think I, you know, when I left Ernst Young, I finally assembled what I felt was a really, really awesome team. And that was because I had burned through a bunch of people who finally, you know, the group that I had are finally people that knew how I wanted it 
and had that as Gary would say, had batteries. Um, yeah. And this was like starting all over again. So that, that was a real eye opener as well. Yeah. So one of, I want to keep going a little bit further into BGW at this point. And one of the biggest attraction points for me when we were talking about uh, me coming in, taking over, leading the BGW wealth was how well you guys on the CPA side are, do your differentiation, right? How do you stand out and, and be different in the crowd and give your, your clients a significantly better experience, right? So I want to, I want to go down that rabbit hole a bit. And I know Gary's got a ton on that too, but I want to start with why the passion around business owners. Um, it, you know, it's, it's funny. It, um, I think Dale knew that that's where he wanted to be all along because it, it, it was where he was at before I kind of to join RCI. He was with a regional accounting firm up in Michigan before I moved to Charlotte and, um, join, join Ernst Young. Um, but it, you know, it's the job that he really wanted was with Green Walker. They just didn't hire him. So take that Charlie Rear and Kevin Walker. <laughs> <laughs> you could have prevented all this competition. Did you just hire Dale Gilmore in 2004? <laughs> anyway. Um, so he, he, he really helped to set the tone of, you know, Hey, what's our target market going to be like? going to look like. And then I just said, okay, well, I can figure out how to wrap everything else around that. So I came along from the, for the ride in that standpoint, but once I got there, it took me about, you know, honestly, it was probably the first um, time I went to church after that. And I looked around, I'm like, these are all people that I know. Cause I've seen them at chamber of commerce. <laughs> event that we went to and I saw them at the Rotary Club meeting and they're so great and they're so nice and I just want to help them. This is awesome. So for me, you know, I didn't start that way. I started that way because it, well, I started that way because Dale said, this is the, you know, this is the market that we want to serve. And I'm like, okay, if that's our target market, I know exactly how to wrap everything around to service it. But I wasn't, I wasn't passionate one way or the other about it. But once I got in it, I'm like, this is where I absolutely want to be. And it mm -hmm. was because of kind of that first couple months of just what it felt like to be a part of the community. I didn't, that was something that I did not know that I was missing. That once it showed up, I thought this is kind of one of the better feelings in the world. That a person can have. Yeah. You know, I, I want to push on that a little bit more too, because um, you didn't say it, per se, but I think this is where you, you were going to. You talked about when you're at EY that you're dealing with the procurement department. And I remember I did the same thing when I was selling managed or not managed services, but high-end consulting services as well. And it's a long freaking sales time. Uh, you know, just the timeline is forever. But and you're not, you're never dealing with the decision maker, you're dealing with the gatekeeper. But what you said when you and Dale went and met with your first client, you dealt with the owner, you had two meetings and you had a decision. Was, you know, is that part of it, you think, where you can deal directly with the decision maker and the fact that you have risked your own capital, you put it all on the line, you're eating your own dog food per se, does that, is that part of the thing there too, Adam? Um, 
you know, so yet, yes and no. I think it, I think the community aspect for me is really the most important thing. And an ancillary benefit is that people are actually taking what we're teaching them and putting it into practice and making a difference about it. And what, what, why I'd say that's ancillary is that, mm. you know, I think that whether, well, I'll tell you why I know it's ancillary. Why, why it's ancillary for me is that, you know, one of the, one of the projects that I worked on when I moved down here from Detroit, you know, I had to wrap up a project for general Motors, and, you know, it was a massive project, you know, got a ton of accolades at e y about selling it and delivering it. So we were kind of big shit. Sorry about my language there. We were big stuff <laughs> in our um, group because of this project. And I was more depressed than I think I'd ever been. I mean, you know, hmm. Julie, Julie would tell me that I would wake up in the middle of the night, you know, screaming, I haven't gotten my SDP 21 documents filled out, which was GM's, you know, internal, you know, method six sigma methodology they called it sdp 21 so I, you know and, and people that knew me that knew me when i had more confidence were like dude you've lost your swagger completely and it honestly came down to gm with you know to get anything done at gm i had to have since we were a global project i had to have every single manufacturer at gm agree to something and then every geographic region agree to something so by default I had to get 26 approvals to do anything. And of course, none of them would approve everything. Like, and it mm -hmm. wasn't like majority vote, it was unanimous consent. So I calculated one time and you know, GM literally spent $2 million on me and did not do one single thing that my team came up with. Um, so I think that was, that was kind of the eye opener for me I didn't want to be in a business anymore where people didn't actually listen <laughs> or do anything, you know? So conversely, you know, one of the projects that I had at Bank of America, when I first moved down here, they listened to everything that, that our team asked them to do and they implemented it and they got out of a big jam because of it. That was very rewarding. So to me, the ancillary part is, Hey, when people take, cause it's equally as frustrating when we have clients now that don't take action you know, on something that they really ought to do and then continue to complain about it. And I think that's independent from hey, it's a small business owner or it's a fortune 500 company. It, it really, the, the, in, the inaction part, I have a hard time with, you know, maybe one day I'll get over it, but not today. <laughs> that sense of community that you talked about though, that you felt with business owners, talk a little bit more about like, what does that mean? Because you're involved in Vistage, you're involved, I mean, we have Vistage groups at BGW, we don't charge for them to use our space and it's kind of expensive real estate, but I just think that's really cool. You know, there's something that's there and maybe what you described of what you experienced when you were at church and you see these people that are in the rotary and whatever, but can you talk a little bit more about what are some of the common bonds in that community that are such a, an attractant to you? Well, you know, I think I'd say that there's probably two elements to that. Um, Gary, you know, so if you use a, if you use, you know, a religious or a pastoral context, since you, um, well, I guess I brought up church and then you hit, you hit it home. 
Um, you know, the, the one aspect of community that I, I find very rewarding is the pastoral aspect of the job in the sense that, you know, if I can, if I can help out Gary and he was, you know, he, he, he learns something from us and implements it, Gary's a small business owner. And then he tells his friends about it. And then they tell their friends about it. You know, I mean, if Gary's got, you know, 20 employees and because of his advice now he's created because, you know, something that we might've advised him on when he implemented it. Now there's 10 more jobs created out of it. That's a, that's a very rewarding feeling. I mean, Gary still had to take the action, but you know, we, we still had a part. I mean, I'd imagine that's very much like a, a pastor would feel like when they, you know, help a family out or help somebody with bereavement. And then that person, you know, passes it down to pass it down to somebody else. Um, so I think that's, that's one aspect of it. I think the second aspect of community is, you know, very much like a, like a, like a Bible study or a group therapy session. I mean, that's literally what it is. It's like if you're sitting around with other group of CEOs because at the end of the day, we're business owners too. Yeah. You're, you're basically, you know, Hey, I've got this problem. Oh man, I totally made that problem, that mistake. You know, or yeah. hey, I've wondered about that too. Let me know how it goes. You know, so there's this element of group therapy that exists that it just it just feels um, validating to know that people are in the same boat as you are in terms of you know, hey, I sweat it. You know, I sweat a payroll. You know, I had customers that didn't pay me. I made mistakes. You know, I got you know, I got my MBA five times from Harvard through the School of Hard Knocks, the <laughs> mistakes that I made. So that's just, it's nice to have that feeling too, the sense of, you know, kind of bonding rapport that you get around, hey man, you know, we're both kind of, we're both in this mess together um, in terms of, you know, companies, livestock, the stage, what, we, you know, what we're seeing, you know, what it's like to deal with them, what, what it's like to deal with team members, you know, what it's like to deal with customers, grow the business, and take risk. So yeah, I want to bounce around the chronologically a little bit here, but your pastoral comment um, got me thinking about leadership, right? So uh, talk to me a little bit about how you how you approach leadership within the company and how has that evolved? Because I I have to imagine being a part of things like Vistage and coaching and all that has has also evolved how you are treating the people within your organization. Yeah. That's it. Um, uh, people may stop listening after this next comment. Perfect. Um, that's what or, we're going or, for. Or you, or you may, <laughs> or you may, you may say, "Hey, that's really good to know you, Adam." And I'm not going to actually work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think the the evo the evolution is that. When I, when I started, you know, I remember, again, one of the last things that I did at Bank of America, I was in a meeting with somebody or in a meeting trying to sell something. And it was an absolute, when I left, my boss at the time said, we're not going to win that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I was brilliant in there, you know, totally told him exactly what he needed to hear, gave him an answer to his problem, all that kind of stuff. He said, yeah. The problem is you were the, trying to be the smartest guy in the room. There mm. can't be two smartest guys in the room. And, you know, 
being the smartest guy in the room, I'd say, ah, interesting and buy smart. I'll let it wait for future reference to never use again. <laughs> and you know, the the way that the way that I probably started my management career, you know, both both in, both at EMY and then I just carried it over to um, BGW is, you know, being being quick on my feet and the smartest guy in the room. You know, whether I was or I wasn't, you know, trying to be the front, you know, making sure that I had a good answer, a good solution and, you know, well thought, well researched ideas. And I think, and, you know, I would try, I wouldn't brag about it, you know, or be humble or try, I don't think, try to cram ideas down people's throats. Um, so I would get some accolades. And anytime I felt like, you know, somebody would say, hey, man, you know, sometimes you can be a little off putting with that. Um, I would say, yeah, but like seven other people tell me that I'm humble. You can stuff <laughs> your feedback up your ass. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I never really listened to that humility concept. Um, so for me, probably the biggest change in the last couple of years is to, you know, instead of having kind of a, a false, you know, my, my version of humility in the past was actually the worst form of pride, which is called, you know, you, the external humility that everybody thinks that you have, but you don't really have because at the end of the day, it's like, hey, yeah, I was a team, you know, yeah, I got a great team, but I hired and trained them um, yeah. to really trying to take a deep dive in terms of, all right, how can I, how can I truly educate and help this person be successful and give them what they need to be successful. And man, that's, that's been, that's not easy um, at all. And I don't get it right <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of days because, you know, the other, the other side of my personality trait can sometimes take, a lot of times takes over, which is called, um, oh, you're not going to do it my way. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Unless, and, and, I, and I'm okay if you don't want to do it my way as long as you give me a really good reason oh wait you're not going to give me a really good reason damn this is going to be tough <laughs> <laughs> so it's just tough um, but that, that the evolution you know around leadership I think really for me has been you know going from you know feeling like I had to have all of the answers to being comfortable truly being comfortable with not having all of the answers, or even if I had the answers, you know, trying to, you know, trying to let other people, you know, kind of do their own thing and come up with them. And I said it, you know, if, 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 if I really wanted to see myself at a 10, you know, today I'm, I might on a good day, give myself like a four in that pattern, but I'm shooting for a 10. So, um, I'm really glad you went there and sorry, I was stepping on, on top of you, Ben, <laughs> but, but um, my mind was already going where, where he just went. Um, and, you know, Adam, it's funny when I think about that as a practical example of this, before I came and joined you guys uh, on the team a little over two years ago, um, you asked me, Hey, what do people say about me? Or, but not, you didn't say about me, you said about us, about BGW. And I have friends with larger competitive firms 
and not that we're small, we're in the 70 plus people, I think, range. But, um, and then also have a number of friends that were clients. And I said, well, the friends that I've got look at you and they, they're like, um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't imagine running our business without Adam and without that team because, um, they've changed everything for us. You know, it's not just bean counters, not people just checking the boxes and making the decisions for us. They're truly partners and making us think broader and, and wider than anybody else that we've dealt with. So that was one side. And the other side was competition was like, well, those guys seem to be aggressive, you know? <laughs> and when I asked, when I told you that, you're like, well, that's interesting. You go, and, and in my words, not yours, you've always approached everything from like the spectrum. Think of, you know, financial advising, advising like Ben does. There's an appropriate spectrum, but there's a risk and reward in that spectrum. As long as you don't go and break ethical and legal boundaries, which we would not do, but there's, there's, risk and reward on a number of things. And, and the fact that you do that made some competitors look at, Hmm, you know, what, what are you doing? But your, your clients love you. And the fact that even when we went into PPP and before it was even called PPP cares act, even before it was called that the week that we went into lockdown, you said to me, we need to do twice a week webinar. And I said, why, man, we are so busy. You are just, you know, running ragged, busy season on top of a pandemic, and we didn't know what was going on. You said, but first of all, I'm answering the same question 15 times. And these business owners were in the same boat. We had legal friends that said, man, you shouldn't, you know, you're kind of putting yourself out there because nobody really had all the answers, but we weren't going with sanitized talking points that every body else on the planet was doing that had zero value as far as I was concerned. But the fact is that you were willing to say, hey, you know, this is the best that we know. This is our thoughts, etc." And you were willing to take that risk for something greater, in my opinion, on serving business owners because your phone was lighting up early in the morning to late at night with people wondering, you know, how they were going to navigate through this thing and if they would even survive when their businesses were shut down by governmental mandates. So kudos to you, Adam. Um, you, you, in my opinion, you are living that. So. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, so Adam and Gary, one of, cause Gary, you just hit on, on content in a roundabout way, uh, but it sparked something for me. One of the things that, that you guys have on, on the CPA side is your vault. And I think it's very interesting what you've done and what you're building with this. So can you, can we go down there a little bit? Can you describe first off what it is? And, and then we'll talk about how that's changed the experience from there. Yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that, um, you know, we, we've always tried to produce practical advice as, you know, as Gary mentioned, and we found that we were repeating ourselves a lot of times. So if you if you came in and said, hey, you know, I don't know what to pay myself. I'm a brand new S corporation. I've answered that question a thousand times. Um, and, you know, you can write a blog post on it. And that's pretty helpful. 
Um, but we felt like um, some of the online platforms that help you to develop um, course content, it's not, like think about, you know, you've seen commercials for that master series and it's like, um, Eric Clapton is gonna do, you know, five courses to teach you how to play the guitar. Um, you know, it's like a progression of courses. You know, the, the online platforms have come far enough that, you know, there's really two that are great, you know, Kajabi and Mighty Networks. We take Mighty Networks, but Kajabi is also pretty good. That, that they give you the ability to create lessons or courses that people can take to help them, you know, develop some sort of depth in, a con in terms of content. So our vision of it is that, you know, for things that as a business owner, you really ought to know, you know, you may not need to know them tomorrow, but at some point you're going to need to know it or you should know it. Um, you can, you can take these courses at your leisure. I think what I found is that like, not everybody's wonky and likes business books. You know, not everybody's going to listen to, you know, uh, you know, 40 hours of podcasts that you're like one nugget. So we try to synthesize, you know, what do you really need to know in a short digestible format, um, to help you be successful as a business owner. Um, so that, you know, that those, that, so, you know, the topical areas are, you know, everything for us, you know, really starts with tax and helping people minimize the tax bill. So, you know, the tax course really is, you know, a series of topical areas that represent our best planning techniques. So, you, you know, common question is, hey man, you know, how do I deduct stuff? <laughs> You know, I feel like I'm not deducting enough and that's code for owner fringe benefits. Well, we developed a course that goes through every single allowable owner fringe benefit that the IRS allows, like in the tax code, it's allowable. We explain what the benefit is, how you can take it, how do you cover your butt in case you get audited, um, and what the benefit of it is in very digestible, easy to understand formats. Um, you know, we've got another course that is developed on um, cash flow. You know, what, are, what are the five things I need to look at to optimize my cash flow as a business owner? Because I don't, you know, don't want to look at a balance sheet you know, and cash flow statement. Those are important documents, but I want to look at some very simple stuff to understand what I need to do. You know, succession planning, how do I exit my business? You know, Gary's been working on a leadership um, program that kind of takes the best stuff that he's done in his career, combines the, the operating system formerly known as EOS, because we can't say that word anymore now that they're a franchise. Um, let's be laughing now, Gary. We're on Zoom and I don't see that. I'm laughing. Okay, he's laughing. And actually, I was trained in scaling up, which yeah, is... I, I was about to say it combines that and scaling up um, into, into some good stuff. So it's really, it's meant to be a platform for our clients and you know friends to get our ideas on demand um, when they want to versus when they can find time on our calendars. And I think our hope is that, you know, like I might get asked, like, like, how do I, you know, like what would be typical for me would be, Hey Adam, you know, I just bought this beach place. You know, is there any way I could get a tax deduction for that? I will give somebody a direct answer, but what I won't necessarily say is, by the way, here's the eight other owner fringe benefits that you also want to take a look at. But if on the other hand, somebody says, hey, I want to buy, you know, a beach place, how can I get a tax deduction for that? 
I can say, here is the under fringe benefit course. All eight topical areas are listed and they're like, ooh, that seems intriguing too. <laughs> you know, let me click on that one. Um, maybe there's something there. What, you know, kind of our goal here is that every client is taking advantage of every opportunity that we, that they have at their disposal based, based on our thought, you know, we put a ton of time into coming up with ideas and documenting them. So this represents the collective body of all of our best. This is, you know, if you like Seinfeld, this is my best stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this is good as we get. We have no other ideas in these. If you're looking for other ideas, they don't exist. They're right here. Um, and I don't have anything else but this. I remember um, th this is this is kind of an anything but typical planning session that Adam and I had a little over a year ago. <laughs> we were talking about kind of blowing up our website, which we did, and we've got a, a much more appropriate one, at least that fits who we are. But we talked about this concept of the vault, and you know, it was something that he was producing this amazing amount of content, but we we. <laughs> We uh, took a pontoon boat, moored in a cove, had a flip chart, and we, we did a whole planning day on, on the pontoon boat, which was a ton of fun. But that was kind of where we said, this is where we want to go. And actually, um, we're going to launch it, it looks like, in the fall. We wanted to launch it earlier than that, but we've been populating it with these three to seven-minute videos plus additional content and we really want something robust, but it really is designed for our clients and friends. And then if there are people that don't want, or they aren't clients yet or whatever, but they want access because they're not getting this information from their CPA, but they aren't ready to switch or whatever, they've got loyalties, they can purchase um, access to the vault. And we'll talk more about that probably we'll we'll re release more information at least even on the website as we get closer into the fall but yeah so what's the what's the feedback on the vault been from the client side um you know we've we've been only testing it on a limited basis meaning right. like you got a question i send that to you if you're prospect i get you signed up for it so it hasn't been distributed to a wide audience yet Right. So my, you know, my, my statistically viable sample of the limited people that we've sent it to is that it was, it was beneficial to them and it was beneficial to me from a time-saving standpoint. And I'll give you the example going back to the rental house. You know, that was one of the questions I asked in the course. It's one of the first courses that we filmed that is one of the most common questions that we had. And the response back that I got from Brad S, I won't say his last name in case the IRS is listening, uh, was, hey, that was really helpful. I only had one other question. You didn't cover, does it need to be in a separate LLC? Like, okay, I missed that. The answer is yes. Man, that, that saved him time because you could watch that, got his points in in 15 minutes. It saved me an hour um, of half an hour of a meeting and have a bunch of apps back and forth. We boiled it down to just one, you know, one remaining question. That was that, that, so that worked as intended and designed. Yeah. Well, and that's also why you don't do it to a wide audience right away, right? You, you test it, you get feedback, you tweak it and you make it better. So it's an ideal experience instead of an unedited experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gary, you had just mentioned anything but typical inside um, the realm of BGW, right? So 
not everybody knows that anything but typical is the name of our podcast, but it's also a, a kind of a slogan, but also kind of what BGW lives by of trying to be an anything but typical CPA firm. So Adam, what does, what does the phrase anything but typical mean to you? Um, you know, Gary did a great job of coining it, which I appreciate. Um, that's a good example of, you know, me, elect, me recognizing that I, in fact, was not the smartest marketing guy in the room. In fact, it's Gary. He's very good at that. <laughs> One would think that he would be good at that, given that was his career at Bank of America. <laughs> so, like, it goes back to, you know, like, who the hell am I to think that I could actually be better at that than Gary, even if I don't, <laughs> even, if, even if it didn't, like, oh, I totally get that around the game. Um, so anything but typical, I don't, you know, I, I think another version of it is it, if anybody saw the um, old Oldsmobile commercial, it's not your father's old, Oldsmobile, that's kind of around when Tiger Woods was showing for him um, when he first came out, but it, it's really like that. It's like people have in their minds, you know, what a CPA firm is or what a CPA is. And, you know, frankly, I think the whole, you know, eye shade, you know, whatever, I feel like that image is a little bit dated, but I do think that the experience that people still get today is, you know, people who are unwilling to give an opinion or advice out of fear versus, you know what? My HVAC contract doesn't do that. You know, my, my crops out, they say, look, you got option A or option B, which option do you pick? It was me and my house. I pick option A. We take that exact same approach um, across the board, which yep. I think it, which which I think for us is that that to me really is the anything but typical is that you know it's got two components. You know, A we looked at look if I was a business owner, you know, or we are business owners, so better yet, what do we need to know, you know, to be successful? A and B, what's our opinion on those things that they, people need to know to be successful. So like, you know, how much working capital do I need? Well, the work, you know, you need to know as a business owner what working capital is. That's usually where CPA firms stop. You know, they don't go into the details of here's the low end range, here's the high end range. You know, the other consideration is when you go to sell the company, you know, that's going to be a fundamental calculation that could bite you in the ass. Why you want it to be this way. Therefore, if it was me, I would do that. That's how, that's that that to me is kind of the manifestation of anything that did it. Yeah, you know, one other thing that I'm just going to make a comment about that. Um, when I came in, and this this actually leads into I think where you want to go, Ben. Um, I was not thinking I was going to go work for them uh, for BGW. I was at a I was asked to speak on a culture panel with Charlie Maloof, who was at, well, yeah, I think Charlie may have been, no, he wasn't there. It was Brandon Lindsay from Hoopa, who was a client. That's when I first met Brandon. And I don't remember who else was on it, but I go into this big room that can hold up to 60 people. And um, a CPA firm has that much real estate that they're dedicated to uh, bringing in speaker panels to talk about stuff besides just numbers. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I mean, this is really different. And then on the side of the wall, I see they've got EOS and they've got their one page um, plan, the strategic plan. Um, 
And where I see one of the things their, their, their core purpose was to, to make a difference in the lives of their clients, their team, and their community. And boy, that really just, it really resonated with me. And I think we even heard that from the front end of Adam talking about what was it that was most important to him. It wasn't even just dealing with the decision makers. It was dealing with the sense of community, which, I mean, we, we put our money where our mouth is on that, but I thought that was really cool. But the other thing that I've heard time and time and time again is the fact that we have, we serve this wide array of business owners from people that have started up and are on high growth tra trajectories. One of those is a billion dollar valuation. And we were with them when they started, but you know, a lot of them are in the couple hundred million and down kind of range, but even somebody, I was talking with somebody that started their business with 700 bucks and they're running a $10 million business, you know, like, but they go, we don't know what we're doing, which that's, that's the great secret that everybody, it's that imposter syndrome that so many business owners have. They know their business and they know their industry, but they, they feel stupid when it comes to financial stuff. And they may not know those levers so well, but when they admit that quickly, we aren't going to make them feel stupid. And I think Adam does a really good job of disarming that because, you know, um, the fact that he has embraced the fact that he's not necessarily the smartest person in the room, but he actually does know what the heck he's talking about on some of these things, but he doesn't make anybody feel stupid. And I think that's an important part of even the community where every one of us, all three of us on this podcast have risked our own capital to start and run or turn around a company and so it is lonely and we don't have all the answers in the chief cook and bottle washer. We've all had the, that title <laughs> on that t-shirt. Um, but when you have somebody that's willing to walk alongside you and teach you and not make you feel stupid and about stuff more than just the tax implications, which we do that really well, but there are lots of other aspects of the business that become weights and burdens that don't have to be on a business owner. So, you know, I saw that anything but typical, very resident, very permanent and like etched in not just Adam, but the people that he had, you know, surrounded himself by, et cetera. And we were delivering that. And he, he you know, one more thing about the, the marketing brain of Adam Boatsman is he said, we exist to help people save money, make money and stay out of trouble. If, that, if we do that thing, and the only thing that I added to that was and have fun because I saw that we were doing that and I think business should be fun. And so that is kind of, those are our four uniques, but that was Adam and the team identifying and understanding. Those are the pain points and the differentiation points that, that we can bring to bear. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Hey. And Gary, you had mentioned there the like Adam being uh, one of his strengths being strategy. So Adam, that poses a question of you're we're almost 15 years now into BGW, right? It's significantly larger than it was when you first started it. How do you balance getting in the weeds for client strategy with the big picture business level responsibilities that you have? Um, so. 
you know, it's funny. I'd, I'd love to say, hey, that was always my design. Then, of course, you know, you need to do this. So I'll steal from Elon Musk because he, you know, validated what we're doing. Um, I think, you know, by necessity in any business, you know, but definitely in CPA firms, you know, there's kind of a, you know, hey, I'm going to start the business. But at the end of the day, you know what? I still need to know how to run the freaking CNC machine. Yep. You know, and I may have to sweep the floors. So, you know, at some point though, if you're looking to really grow and scale up, you got to make the decision to hire a CNC operator or a janitor or whatever, whatever it is. Like you don't need to do all that, you know, forever to uh, be out of the, you know, to, to get stuff out of the, to, to, to stay in the weeds, to save money. And at the same time, you, have to keep your I just feel strongly that you have to keep your pulse on like what actually is going on so you know I think using the using the manufacturing as an example like it doesn't hurt to occasionally spend a little bit of time on the floor understanding what it's like to actually manufacture the product that you're selling you know something good is going to come out of that so from my standpoint you know that I I you know I I think that I will always stay in the weeds some because I that's that's how I keep the product development fresh and understand what's going to work and what isn't going to work. So that our our product development of BGW that's weird to say CPA firm product development, but we do think about our various products. It's ba it's based on you know battle tested practical stuff that you know I'm trying out and you know. I'll, typically tell a client in advance, hey man, we're gonna try this out and you're you mind being the test case. You know, and I know that there's a certain amount of go-to people that I can ask that of and, and they'll say, yeah, let's give it a shot. Happy to do it. A good example. Simple, stupid example is not a stupid example, but you know, using teams to communicate with their clients, Microsoft teams to communicate with their clients. That was that's an experiment, you know, that we're doing with a few clients. We already know no teams and would be willing to have some trial and error happen. Same thing happens, you know, same things happen with, you know, our cash flow analysis tools. Hey, here's a tool we developed. You might give it a shot, see if it works for you. So I, you know, subsequent to that, I read an article with Elon Musk that said that you have to stay involved in product development, you know, by going to the store and seeing how the test looks made up. Somebody else thought too, and he's pretty smart and he's respected. <laughs> Therefore, what I must be doing is right. <laughs> Probably a lot of stuff that Elon Musk does that I don't want him to do, but that seemed like one that I can be attracted to and say that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I got a question for you, Adam. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting a few years ago, there were a number of people in CPA firms talking to me about coaching and the funny thing was is uh, I asked who their coach was and zero percent said they had an outside coach and what I got was a bunch of excuses oh well, I've got 13 partners and whatever and I'm like hmm interesting and yet when I found out when I first met you found out that you were coaching some clients um, and you had an outside coach and you have, and the firm now has for seven years. Um, why, what, what made you go into that 
first of all, in hiring an outside coach, especially when you've got, you know, typical CPA partners are very penny, you know, conscious, you know, they're, they're cost conscious. They don't want to do it. Uh, you know, it's an expense. It's not generating revenue per se, et cetera. What was it that, that tipped you into saying, we're going to actually invest in that. And then the next part of that question is, when did you and what tipped you into going and getting some training so that you could also do some coaching? Yeah. So good, good question, Gary. Um, in terms of having a coach, I mean, so I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, it's kind of, you have to define coach for a minute um, because it's sort of like marketing, you know, some people that's like, yeah. and other people that strategic, you know, communications and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, for us, I really, I really put coaching into two different categories, you know, coaching in the more classic sense, like literally help me individually to be a better leader versus, you know, coaching, meaning, hey, help us, you know, fix our system of governance and get our strategy right. So we were, you know, we were kind of a bucket of two. Um, so that decision to hire somebody, you know, in the beginning was David Norman that evolved into Robert Fish to help us implement EOS internally really came from, you know, when I was, when I first started at Ernst Young, I got thrown into the deep end of the pool with facilitating client design process design sessions. And the thing that I got taught very early on was that you can't be both a participant and a good facilitator because you end up with groupthink. So, you know, Going back to face I'm done, so I have to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, do I think that I can do good facilitation? Absolutely. Are people better at it than I am? Absolutely. And at the same time, what I felt 100% confident in is I could not be a good facilitator to BGW because I would have, whether consciously or unconsciously, driven. I mean, it's already bad enough when I'm a participant in terms of driving it. I mean, could you imagine if I was a facilitator? <laughs> So it just, it came rooted in the fact that that we were going, we would not have been able to um, have a good group input type of discussion if I was leading the conversation, because frankly, there would have been nobody to call, you know, no, nobody would have been able to tell me, you know, Adam, shut up. You're talking too much. Let other people talk, which, you know, Robert or David could do. This um, so that, that's what led me down that track. I think what led me to the track of, you know, helping clients um, was, you know, it was really Brian McManus and Hoopla Grading. I saw him struggling with a lot of the same stuff that I was struggling with BGW. So I gave him a, a copy of Fraction and I gave a few other people a copy of Fraction. And, you know, Brian, after a while, said, hey, man, I'll listen to it. You know, what should I do? Are you implementing stuff? <laughs> clients and I said no but I'd be willing to give it a try he was an experiment and he knows that it's like if you're willing to try it Brian I'm willing to try it because you know the the sense of you know one is I felt comfortable enough that I could probably do it based on our experience with EOS and also having been trained for years in facilitation at Ernst & Young and having a lot of facilitation that's under my belt so I felt comfortable with it secondly what I was what I was concerned about is when you're a small business, you know, consultants and coach, coaches get a bad rap. I mean, you know, 
there, there are a bunch of really amazing ones. And there are others that literally are used car salespeople that cannot manage the <laughs> paper bags. And, you know, when you're a big company, you know, spending your budget, but it's not your money, you're like, oh, well, that was a bad decision. You know, let's move on. But, and when you're a small company, you're paying, you know, 10, 15, 20, sometimes 100, you know, full blown year of EMS is 30 grand. That's a lot of money to a small business. So, I also felt pretty passionate about, like, I don't want to see my clients get screwed by some thin plan man. So, you know, I didn't, I felt comfortable enough with the EOS model of if you didn't like the service, then don't pay for it today. But I didn't feel like that, even that was a risk enough. So we, we, we did ours to where, look, if you're not successful, meaning you don't improve EBITDA, then don't pay, don't pay us, you know, the full amount that you would have to pay. Because that's, that's really why you should be doing this stuff is to increase your company value. How to increase company value, you increase it by increasing EBITDA. Um, so I just, I felt like that was a good way to implement things. So Brian, you know, Brian McManus, thank you. You pushed me into the deep end of the pool and then, you know, kind of the ball, the ball started rolling from there. Well, and we had Brian's right-hand guy, Brandon Lindsay on here, uh, a few podcasts, episodes ago so if anybody hasn't listened to that one they need to because one i think they do a better job than any other company i've ever come across on really integrating cultures and making sure that cultural compatibility is right before they acquire a company and you know that company if i'm not mistaken has grown about five fold since you started working with them yeah if i, um, I watch them it's sort of like you know, if we were sparring buddies, I just got my ass kicked. <laughs> but it used to be I could kick that guy's ass. It's like, you know, uh, you know, we we may we may be at a black belt right now and and kind of coaching and the COS implementation stuff, and they're like a seventh Dan, <laughs> you know, now at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really are uh, yeah. amazing. So, uh, thank you, Brian, for. For, for throwing Adam into the deep end because it really has made a difference for us. Um, and I know that it's not just made a difference for us, but it's made a difference for a lot of our clients too. So, which I think is really cool. So we're a little past the, the hour point. So as we, as we start to wrap up, Adam, um, I want to, I want to finish on future vision. Uh, and get a get a peek inside. How do you how do you go about the planning side of the vision of the company? Um, I just get everybody drunk, and so they agree with me. No, Perfect, right? On like yeah, you said at the start, beer four, and you're you're in. Yeah, so, yeah, so that was the launch. <laughs> right. I, I I don't do that. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, the, you know it's. It's a good, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, so we, we follow all of the, um, the traditional, um, strategy stuff that, that you're supposed to do to, you know, implement EOS or scaling up or whatever your system may be in terms of, you know, SWOT analysis, where we want to be, you know, go through, go through the big picture. So I think, you know, so we follow a formal process for arriving at that strategy, but, I think what's before that, you know, this, this may be either 
hey, wow, that was the best answer ever. That was totally underwhelming. I don't really know. But what I feel passionate about is like, at some point, you have to do a gut check in terms of like, am I really up for this or not? Like you have to, you have to really ask yourself the question, am I up for that? So, you know, like in our, in our case, the BGW, you know, and this kind of, this piggybacks into, you know, what you're doing then with BGW Wealth. It's like, look, you know, path number one is, you know, we could, we could be, you know, great here in Charlotte, you know, just hang out. Everybody's making a good living, you know, things are great um, and not do anything more and, you know, still have a strategy, but our strategy is that's it. But that would be missing out on a really big opportunity, which is, you know, there's really not a whole lot of consistency in terms of middle market, you know, small, small market or small business accounting market, highly fragmented. Um, the, the demographic of people in my role is awful in the sense that they're all, you know, the average age of my role, you know, I'm 47, about to be 48. The average age of people in my role is, I think, 62 or 63. Um, that's the average. <laughs> so you can kind of draw some conclusions on what that means since I'm part of what's influencing that average. <laughs> I'm considered a young whippersnapper you know, at the ripe old age, you know, 47, about to be 48. Um, so I just, you know, there's a great opportunity to, to take what we've done and, and do some pretty serious major expansion for it. But that, that would require a radical rethinking and completely getting out of our comfort zones. Because, you know, last time I checked, you know, I've surveyed our management team and we currently do not have anybody on the BGW team who has expanded to, you know, 20 major metropolitan markets in one year. But yet that opportunity exists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think part of, part of developed planning and strategy is, you know, periodically, you know, looking around the, the table and saying, we have to guts to go for this or not. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of a gut check, yep. you know, at some level, because it's like, we're kind of at that inflection point of, you know, you can't, we can't be half pregnant, you know, it's kind of either let's be pregnant or not, you know, let's have a kid or not have a kid. Yeah, no, that's such a great point, right? Because so many people will blindly try and lead a business into more and more growth without ever stepping back and asking themselves if that's what they even want. Right. And, and yeah. dictating what you want and what you're up for, that gut check, as you said, it, it steers and dictates what those strategies are, right? Because you can be a strategy that stays very small and is nimble and just that's where you are and you're happy there and you can just fine tune that or you can do, go the complete opposite route and go for vast expansion and everywhere in between. But until you actually take that step of, of seeing what you're truly up for, you never know where you should be going or what you should be doing. I think yeah, that's, that's, that's right. And what it, I got to tell you what it feels like, the, the reason that I'm up for it is it feels very much like, um, you know, I may get this story kind of wrong, but, you know, Steve Jobs going into Xerox and seeing the graphical user interface with the mouse and Xerox saying, I don't know, we don't know what the hell we're going to do with it. Do you want that thing? He says, yeah, I'll take that thing. And next thing you know, he launches Apple. I mean, I, I kind of feel like, 
that's where we're at, which is we have a great opportunity and some thoughts around how to capitalize on that opportunity and somebody should do something with it. And given that, why shouldn't it, you know, yep. why not us, <laughs> you know, because we have a graphical user interface and a mouse. And the only question is, are we going to be Xerox? We're going to be Steve Jobs. Yeah. I hope Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least the creative side and not the tyrannical side. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're working on the tyrannical. <laughs> well, this has been this has been a lot of fun because it's I mean, obviously we have a lot of interaction with BGW, but for us to have over over an hour to just pick your brain and get some some things out here that that we've never really even talked about is uh, has been really interesting. So I appreciate you you taking the time, Adam. Um, Gary, any any final thoughts from your end? No, this is fun. It's always fun getting Adam to, you know, share what's rattling around in his head because there's always some really fun stuff and disarming stuff and brilliant stuff all jumbled together, which is really cool. So Adam, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on this thing. Looking forward to broadcasting it and getting other people to be inspired by it, hopefully too. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Gary and Ben. And again, I, I you know, I, I really do appreciate, you know, kind of the, the additions that you've been to the team. You guys have been really amazing. So I definitely appreciate that. You've, uh, as, as, as Julie's fond of saying, you helped me bring my own mojo back. So thanks for that.